one is the loneliest number. Who knows this song? All right. You can sing along if you want. One is the loneliest number. What can one person do, right? When one person makes an ambitious claim, people rarely believe that it's possible. What do they say? You and what army, right? Let's all say it together. You and... Yeah, you and what army? What are you going to do? You're only one person. One is only one. One and done, only one. But if you put a one next to a one, it looks better, right? It looks a little bit more like uh, 11. And even two has more shape and depth than just one. But no, it's just lonely number one. And have you ever felt like you're the only one doing what you're doing, struggling with what you're struggling with, alone in the world, even though you're in one of the most dense cities in the world. Have you felt like that ever? A little lonely. Like you're only one and you can't get anything done. But what happens when one can become two and become more like a virus spreading around the world. You know, we look at the flu and a bat spreads the flu into a pig, animal to animal, and then to a human. And then the, the factor of a human infection to another human is potentially unlimited. I know all of you now are like paranoid about the person next to you, if they have the flu or not. Maybe someone here is the carrier or the index patient where it all begins. And then it starts spreading from one to one to two to four to four to eight and then to the globe. See, we can understand with a virus, it's possible for one thing to affect the planet. One tiny microscopic flu cell can change the world. So why is it so hard to believe that one person can have an impact on the globe? In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We all know what Emmanuel means, right? God with us. God with us. And this prophecy written 700 years before Jesus would be born is about how God would manifest himself in human form on the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God, do you ever have thoughts that begin like that? If I was God, dot, 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 right? If I was God and I was trying to save the globe, it makes sense that I would send some sort of representation to the earth, right? And in my mind, I would send a, a warrior with a vast army, a king and weapons and angels to destroy all evil on the planet. But why? Why does God in his infinite wisdom decide to send the exact opposite from that? An eight pound, 20 inch male crying baby Jew. Why? Why is that the answer? What can an infant do? We have kids in the room. Do we have infants? Parents, raise your hand if your infant is in the room. Well, you've got one hand on the baby. Don't drop the baby. Okay, all right. We love babies. We love seeing them born. We love welcoming them to the universe. We love seeing them in the church family. We celebrate. We do baby showers. If this was your decision to save the planet, is that the form you would use? A little helpless baby. And yet that's what he does. Not only is he a baby, he's born into a poor, 
minority family in one of the most oppressed cultures in history to a teenage dating couple where they would be disowned from their family and everything that they believe religiously if they were even found out messing around with each other, let alone having a child out of wedlock. And yet, this is the story. And in Luke chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I've got a couple pictures up here behind me. Uh, on the left, we have Caesar Augustus, and on the right, we have Quirinius. Uh, this is not legendary folktale. These are real people, uh, lived in historical times, and many different accounts of their existence and corroboration with the Bible's account of these two rulers. And the Roman leadership at that time was power-hungry. They were the empire. They were taking over town and village and city upon city upon city. They were the reckoning force, the world hegemon of the time. And these two would have been at the top of the food chain. And Caesar was even worshipped as a god. And they would say, uh, say, Hail Caesar! Caesar is Lord! And so there was no match, right? You're going to match up against these two guys with a baby? There's no chance. But yet, in God's infinite wisdom, there's something that they didn't count on. And that is the domino effect of the Word of God. It is seen there in Luke 2 when it says that the Word spread concerning Him. And so from person to person to person, like domino to domino to domino, the word spread about the good news of the baby being born. Hundreds of years, generations of prophecy fulfilled. And there was nothing any king or emperor could do about it. It's the power of one. The power of one word, one conversation, and yes, even one baby. You know, sometimes we don't think it matters. One decision, one act we could start thinking that uh, we're just a small link in the chain that couldn't possibly make an impact. But like these dominoes, each one makes impact with the next person. And cumulatively, we make an impact on the world. You know, this baby grew up, and the power of one became the power of 12. And then the power of 12 became the power of 72 and 120 and, and then 3,120 and then tens of thousands in cities like Corinth and Ephesus and Jerusalem, beyond in Ethiopia and to India. And in time, we here, 2,000 years later, have heard the message that has domino affected through the ages from that baby. That's billions of people, all from one. Still not convinced, let me give you another illustration. Let's hop back in time in America to women's suffrage just after World War I, where months of protests, women saying, hey, we worked for the war effort, we want our right to vote. Can I get an amen from the women in the room? Amen. They were pushing for an amendment to the Constitution. 
and each state had to ratify the constitutional amendment, the 19th Amendment, in order for it to pass. They needed three-fourths of the union to pass it. That's 36 states. And as the voting began in all the different states, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, the domino effect started, and it looked good. And then at state 35, they had gotten 35 states to ratify. They got stuck. They couldn't get number 36. And you want to know the state that made the difference? You're going to say New York. It's not New York. What do you, what do you, what do you guess? What state was hanging on? Did I hear a Tennessee? Yes, it's Tennessee. So there we were in Nashville, Tennessee, August 1920. Packed. Senators, congressmen, protesters, rioters, everybody coming in to Nashville to see what was going to happen. And basically, if you were a voter at that time, you would wear either a red rose that you were against suffrage, you were against the women's right to vote, or a yellow rose that you were for. And so as they filed into the courthouse that morning and they counted up the roses on either side, they counted exactly 48 red and 48 yellow. Of course, they needed a majority to get the state to ratify which meant that Tennessee would have been on board, which meant that they would have gotten 36 states, which meant that it would have ratified the Constitution and changed the law for America. And so as the, each man was making their vote, getting up with their different color flower, they would say either I or nay. And it got to one particular individual named Harry T. Byrne. And Harry T. Byrne had a red rose on. And Harry T. Byrne got up that day, and later we would find out that he had a letter in his pocket from his mama. And he got up a little apprehensively, I imagine, because in that letter, mama wrote him some normal, ordinary chit-chat. Hey, how's it going? It's going well over here. Your cousin so-and-so. And then somewhere near the end, she says, and son... I've been watching all this discussion about the woman's right to vote, but I haven't seen where you stand on the issue. And son, make sure you do the right thing. So Harry T. Byrne got up that day with a red rose on, and he voted yes for women's suffrage. And it did pass. And it did get ratified, and women, you have the right to vote. Pretty amazing. People weren't very happy, and legend has it that he had to jump out of a first-story window to escape the mob and hide in the library that day, and that his political future was short-lived. But it was a win, nonetheless. It's the power of one. The power of one. See, Mama was wondering what kind of domino her son was. And you know, this time of year is a good time for self-reflection. I got to ask you today, what do you stand for? What do people know that you stand for? Not what you stand for inside or even what kind of rose you wear. What do you endorse? What do people know that you're for or against? Are you a domino that's part of a link in a chain for a great cause? Or are you like the domino that ends the chain? The domino that doesn't follow. 
if it will continue with you or will you be the end of the line? You know, wherever you're at today spiritually, and I know we have many people visiting church today for maybe the first time or second or third. And then there's some of you that have been here for the thousandth time. And you're counting. Actually, it's 1,222. All right. I get it. You've been here before. You've heard all the Christmas messages. But see, this time of year is an opportunity to remember that we have a God that can relate to us and help transform us to be our very best so that one link in the chain does make a difference. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our God is not a distant God. He's not a neglectful parent that doesn't want to get involved with their child. He's not an absentee shepherd that forgets about his flock. He wanted a relationship with us so bad that he became like one of us, wanted to feel what we feel, wanted to bleed like we bleed. John Stott, incredible commentator on the word of God, says, in a world filled with suffering and pain, I could not imagine worshiping a God that was immune to it. That we need a God that understands what we're going through. Doesn't it help when you're going through a hard time and there's someone that can say, you know what, I can understand what you're going through. I've been there. Let me help you out. Let's do it together. And that's God. That's God Almighty in human form. We can't say, God, you don't know what it's like to suffer. You don't know what it's like to bleed. You don't know what it's like to be hungry. You don't know what it's like to be embarrassed. You don't know what it's like to be poor. You don't know what it's like to be oppressed. You don't know what it's like to be the minority. You don't know what it's like to be homeless. You don't know what it's like to be abused. You don't know what it's like to be falsely accused. You don't know what it's like to be betrayed because Jesus can say, yes, I do know what it's like to be all those things. But you know, just because he's like us, it's actually not enough. You know, we have friends that are like us. Sometimes that doesn't help too much, right? Sometimes we have that conversation, man, I messed up. Man, me too. What do we do? I don't know. <laughs> Stuck in sin. See ya. See, Jesus is like us, and he's not like us. He's fully man, and he's fully God. Back in verse 15, in that verse, it reminds us we have one who has been tempted in every way. But he did not give in to sin. He could say, I know that you can get through this because I went through it and I got through it. So I'm going to help you get through it, too. See, he wants to be our example. When you're hurting, he wants to whisper in your ear and say, you got this. I've been there. I know your pain. See, it's the power of every one of our decisions. And he wants to partner with us on every single one of them. You know, we have a lot of kids in the room. We have preteens. We have third and fourth graders. We have first and second graders. We have kindergartens, pre-K. We got infants. We got the whole family of God together today, right? It's great to have the children in the room. And you know, it's important for those of us under 18 
to also hear this message. Because you know what? You can change the world too. Although a lot of people want to feed you information, persuade you, uh, stay in your place. Oh, no, you shouldn't have any big ideas. You better listen and you better stay in the box. And sometimes that's a good thing. But you know, spiritually, God is daring you to think out of the box. He's daring you to get radical. He's daring you to change the world with one decision after another. Kids, you can change the world. Jesus was a kid and he changed the world. Just one decision. You have power with that to one decision, just like one domino hitting another. You know, I bet if all of us are kind to someone tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, if we make a concerted effort like we have been in Manhattan with our 12 days of Christmas service, and we've got a couple days left, we're going after it. We're trying to make a difference. We're trying to be countercultural in a time when most people get selfish and material. We want to be unselfish, immaterial, and unconditionally loving. So we've been being kind. And I bet you, when you make that decision, that extra act of kindness, that extra minute to take care of someone else, not only will you feel it, they will feel the impact. And that's the key to impacting the world. Let me show you. Amen. It's the power of one. One act of kindness, one sacrifice of self, one extra minute on the commute on the A train. It's just one. One. And our inspiration is from our one Christ. One cooing baby in a manger, one kid, a preteen who hung out with the elders. One kind young man who healed the hurting. One convicted preacher to thousands of souls starving for answers. One courageous prisoner of persecution facing rage and racism. One crucified Messiah, God's son, hanging from a tree, a sacrifice for our sins. One caring Savior who loved his mother and friends even during his last breaths. One crushed revolutionary. One killed martyr, but also... One calculated, motivated, unintimidated, unterminated, resuscitated redeemer. Up from the grave, he arose. From birth to earth, womb to tomb, and back again. He is the reason for the season. He's why we celebrate Christmas. And he doesn't want to sit, us to sit in guilt. He doesn't want us to live in shame or be left out. That's why he was born like us, fragile and vulnerable. Grew up, annoyed his parents, just like you and I did when we were growing up. Hit the teen years, experienced puberty. Grew up, started a revelation with one message. And that one message is this. God loves the underdog. He lifts up the humble so that no one broke, oppressed, or abused would ever be alone. That with God, they'd have all the power they need to live, to survive, to thrive. Church, this is the power of Christ. And it's Christ in Christmas. It's the power of one to impact the globe. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear that whisper. We want to feel your companionship. We need you to hold our hand. Because there are times in our life that we feel alone. We feel like no one else can really understand what we're going through. 
That while we're grateful for people who say they can relate, sometimes we just don't feel that anyone can. And God, for many of us, the holidays are a restful and happy time, but for some of us, they aren't. For some of us, it brings back memories, and some of those are bad. And so God, as we approach these next several days and weeks, time with self-reflection, looking in the mirror, asking ourselves, what do we stand for? We also ask that you will come back in a strong way into our lives and remind us that there is power in each one of us and that that power is you and that that power does not come from us and there's no amount of works, there's no amount of goodness we can do, no, even no amount of acts of kindness that we can throw up on the measuring board of heaven because it doesn't exist and you don't count. Father, we know that salvation comes from you. The power is in you and what you want from us is simply our heart. God, as we celebrate you right now through the communion, as we remember the cross, the body broken, the blood spilt, as we take the cup and the bread, please fill us back up again with your spirit of radical boldness and revolutionary courage. Father, thank you for every single one of the dominoes in this room. We pray they continue falling for you making impact throughout eternity. We love you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.